This is Story You Talk Radio, and I am your host, Coach Debbie, and I am delighted that you have reserved this hour to spend with me. We're talking all about the stories you live by and the stories you are writing. I am a longtime teacher of writing, and I went entrepreneurial good handful of years ago, seven, eight years ago, after about 20 years of teaching college literature and writing, I realized I really wanted to help people write their books. And that's expanded into helping people with their TED Talks and their brands and their year-long blogs and all sorts of fun stuff. And every now and then, I bring on someone to talk about their career in writing. We're going to do exactly that today. In just a little bit, I'll be bringing on a writer who began his career in radio and TV, a degree in journalism, went on to write fiction and nonfiction and do a podcast. I mean, a busy, busy guy. So if you're thinking, where does someone start and how do you continue and how do you keep your momentum going, I got just the show for you today. First, I'd like to tell you a little about things I have on offer. If you follow us here, you know that we do take your calls and you do get the very best offers for listening to me here. But you can also head on over to my website, CoachDebbie.com. Debbie is spelled D-E-B-B-Y, CoachDebbie.com. And I offer you 90-day writing programs if you're working on a book, a blog, or redoing your brand or creating a speech. I also offer full-year memberships for people that are working on their first, second, or third time as an author in uh, nonfiction writing. So this is around your memoir or your legacy piece. And I do from time to time work with people that are writing long fiction works. Right now, I am working with people writing short stories in fictions. I also offer three-day, three-week, and three-month VIP offers. Now, this is really fun because what we do is we spend time one-on-one together and we really, really condense down this time to get very, very focused and really launch you into your project. You'll be about 30 to 50% of the way through it If you stick with me for three weeks, and who knows how far you can get through it if you stick with me for three months. VIP means you get get one-on-one time with me. You are priority on my calendar. And so there is a, a good investment for this, but it is worth it. And I have plenty of people you can talk to that did it before you if you are interested. I also love to offer you retreats. Now, if you would like to just sort of dip your toe into a virtual retreat, I have an offering twice in the spring and twice in the fall. 
where you can pay $199 to come to a virtual retreat. They're about two and a half, three hours. And if you decide after that you would like to go into any of the group coaching or the one-on-one coaching, that $199 will be credited toward your investment. So you really can't lose. You also have the opportunity, if you are in my mentoring program, to join me for a luxury retreat. We do one a year. Last year, we stayed here in the greater Seattle area. We were out at the Willows Lodge. It's in the wine country. The food is extraordinary. The wine is beautiful. Oh, we had ourselves a lovely time. This year, I'm trying to uh, wrangle a place down in Calistoga or Sonoma. I don't have the final word on that yet, but it's looking like the Willows Lodge here might be a little booked up. So give me just a little bit more time, and I will have the updates for the luxury in-person retreat. Again, that information along with everything else, at least in an a abbreviated form, is available on my website, and that is CoachDebbie.com, and that is spelled D-E-B-B-Y, CoachDebbie.com. Now, as you listen today, you might want to call in. Eric Ryder and I will be taking your calls here. The phone number is 1-888-298-5569. You can do that from anywhere you are. You can also write to me on Facebook, or you could send me an email. My email is askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. Again, that's D-E-B-B-Y, askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. So as I was saying, I work with people that are putting their story in print or maybe they're speaking it out through a podcast. Maybe they're on stage and offering it along with some education on the TED Talk stage. I really try to help you suss out what bits of your story you want to share And to also be really, really clear with your audience about where you would like to take them. So how might you put in those calls to action for your audience? I have someone with me today who has a 40-year career. Uh, That's where he began was radio, TV, and he moved on to print and online journalism. He also has several fiction books as well as a sci-fi book. And you might know him from his podcast called The Independent Author. This is something I really enjoy listening to. His name is Tom Krantz. He is uh, from the Philadelphia Philadelphia. Philadelphia area and currently lives in New Jersey. I think you probably might know him from the 80s 
when he was TV producer for WCAU. And he also listed out much of his experience traveling and being producer in his book, Live Shot, something that I look very forward to reading. If you're more of a fiction follower, you might know his books, Budland, or catch this title, Killer Competition. I want to know more about that right now. As well as Time Travel Rescue, that leans more into the sci-fi genre. And then there's Bud and Maggie Secrets. So we're going to learn a little bit about his writing and, of course, his podcasts. I'll be pointing specifically to some of the podcasts I would like you to make sure you catch. But without further ado, let's welcome Tom to the show. How are you, Tom? I'm great, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you are welcome. And thank you so much for making the time to come out and join us here on the airwaves. One of the things that my clients are often really caught up in is how does a person maintain their momentum from write, for writing? And I know you began in radio and TV, which to me sounds like a very, very fun place to begin, not a place that most of us did begin. Will you tell us a little about those beginnings? Sure. I actually have been, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been writing since high school. I wrote for my high school yearbook. And I kind of knew then that um, I wanted to do some kind of writing for a living. Um, we had uh, a career day uh, one afternoon and a local anchorman, a guy named John Roberts, who was an anchor in Philadelphia many years ago, he came and he did his presentation on our stage. <clears throat> And that sounded really good to me because, you know, when you're a journalist, you write often, you write every day, you write stories for air, you write stories for whatever. And that just really appealed to me. So I actually got an internship at a radio station while I was in high school at the all new station in Philadelphia. And uh, that turned into uh, another internship, which turned into a part-time job. And I really enjoyed uh, that kind of writing. I, I guess it, it's in my genes. My, my dad was always kind of a detail oriented, just the facts kind of guy. You know, he, mm -hmm. I found out later after he died that he actually did have pretty good imagination because he wrote his book uh, later in life. But I guess I have his genes in that I like uh, stories that are factually oriented. And I guess that's why journalism really appealed to me. And when you write, uh, you become a journalist. And I went and became, uh, went to Kent Temple University and got a degree in, in um, communications with uh, a concentration in journalism. Um, I kind of like the fact that as a journalist, you have to stay within certain guardrails. You can't make stuff up. I mean, a lot of people listening right now would probably <laughs> dispute that right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, certainly you learn if you're you learn classic journalism that you know, being objective and, and reporting facts and letting people make up their own minds is, is an important thing to do. And that appealed to me. And that's something that I did for a very long time. I enjoyed radio a lot more than TV, although I wasn't in radio very often uh, because in radio there, you have a little more time to tell stories. Nobody can see you, which is great. Uh -huh. And I, I just had, uh, I had a better time 
in radio. I spent much longer time in, in uh, TV news. I worked at a TV station in Philadelphia for 12 years, and then I worked for CBS News for another 15. Um, you know, TV is, is, as you would expect, driven by pictures. It's by, driven by pictures and by sound and by what you see. And uh, a lot of times that can change the way you write a story. Uh, and you have to write things a lot shorter to cram much more news uh, into a, you know, a 30 minute news broadcast really only has about 20 minutes of news. So you end up writing short. So I spent basically 35, 40 years learning to distill complicated, long stories into little 20, 30 seconds stories uh, for people who are watching TV. Maybe they're watching distracted. You got to catch them the first 20 seconds or you're not going to get them. And that was kind of, you know, the beginning of my, uh, that was the bulk of my writing career. Mm, love it. Now you might not know that my grandfather, I never got to meet my grandfather. He, he passed before I was born, but he was a sports writer for the Chicago Tribune. Wow. And my mom, as a teen, was a, a did they call it a copy runner? Is that the right? Yeah, term? a runner, a copy runner. Sure. We, we had those at, at Channel 10. We, what did we call them? Desk assistants or production assistants. Okay. And, and she loved her, her job there as a, a teen for the Chicago Trib. And what I remember her saying was, your grandfather, Debbie, got such a rush out of only having just this minimal amount of time to get a story together. Now, now that bit of the genes did not make it to me. I do not <laughs> think that is in any way fun at all. But was that a big part of what you did? Yeah, when I was younger, uh, when I worked at Channel 10 at WCAU in Philly, they're now, that's the CBS station, which is now, they changed call letters and everything. But if you don't live in Philly, I guess you don't really care. But yeah, when I was younger, uh, writing on deadline and pounding out stories on old fashioned typewriters, that was part of the rush. You know, there was a certain adrenaline rush knowing that you had five minutes to write these five sentences of copy because the anchor on the radio or on the air is going to read it. And it has to be right because it may or may not go through uh, a gatekeeper and editor when you're under the gun like that. It is fun, but it's also nerve wracking. I, I, I don't think I could do it today. <laughs> right, right. And understandably so. You know, it, there's only so much lifespan in, in working out our nerves that way. So I'm very curious as you... Uh, worked your way up, it sounds like that developed to a lot of travel. Is that correct? When I worked in um, Philadelphia, um, that was mostly during the, it was all during the 1980s until 1991. Um, that was in the days when local TV stations had money to travel. Uh, I don't think that that's as much the case anymore now. TV stations are doing more with less. But um, I did get to do uh, quite a bit of traveling. I traveled to Chile. I traveled to Israel. I traveled to many U.S. cities. We, our station covered all of the political conventions in those days. Uh, and I went to many or most of them. I covered uh, Pope John Paul did a little tour uh, in Washington and not in Washington. Um, I went to New Orleans with him and to Miami. So I went to those cities. And yeah, so I got to travel around around the United States mostly and uh, to a couple of foreign countries. Um, but 
I was one of the the couple people at our station who was who did a lot of field producing. Instead of sending a reporter everywhere, sometimes it's enough to just send uh, a producer, a writer with a camera crew. You can do the interview. You don't appear on TV, but you get the sound and you can report the story. And uh, that's what I did. That's what I based my my very first book on my nonfiction book, Live Shot, that you mentioned. Uh, my experience covering that story back in 1985. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Tom also has a lot of experience in publishing, self-publishing as well. I listened to him give basically an educational class on a podcast all about self-publishing. So here's a little shout out to you listeners. I'd I'd like you to think of your award-winning questions for Tom, because sometimes y'all write in and you ask me some of these questions about self-publishing, and I know what I know, but I I bet you Tom knows a little more, because he's done it not only as someone who is putting his fiction out in the world, but also sci-fi and nonfiction. So so he has a, a nice broad background there. Let's take your questions. You can write to me at askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. And Debbie is D-E-B-B-Y, askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. We'd also be happy to take your questions on the phone. And that number is 1-888-298-5569. Six, nine. So hang on with us. We just got to take a quick little break here. And when we come back, more with Tom Krantz. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos... She instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. I want to take a minute and invite you on over to the Love Shack. It's a little old place where we get to get together, explore fresh perspectives, eavesdrop on juicy conversations, and uncover the mysteries that nobody talks about, but absolutely influences our relationships. And we're Tom and Stacey Bartley. We are the hosts of Love Shack Live, which airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. PST, 1150 KKNWAM. Yeah, come on over and join us. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. If you're just tuning in, I am talking to Tom Krantz today, and he is a prolific writer. We're talking about where it all began, and we're really looking at his journey on how he continues to expand and entertain. Because a lot of the people that work with me and that are writing their stories, their memoir, their legacy work, their speeches, their thinking is, this might be all I got inside of me. You know, when I get done with this essay, when I get this published in the next happy magazine that I'm 
submitting to that that's it for me that i'm i'm going to be done at that point because it just took so much out of me and what i want to encourage people to see is that there can be a long game with writing that enriches you it it allows you to be expressive it allows you to play many different roles as a writer just because you were great at writing that one article doesn't mean you can't take your shot at, oh, writing some short stories or, oh, putting together your memoir. Now, keep in mind your memoir is usually about some theme, some theme in your life where you take a, a good amount of time to really go into it with your your readers. And then you you sort of in your own way welcome them to consider what what would work for them in their own writing, what would work for them as a memoir writer. Now, I'm talking to Tom Kranz today, and he is not only has a background in radio and TV, which we just talked about, but he is currently the creator and the man you hear when you tune into the Independent Author Podcast. Now, I catch this on Apple Podcasts. I'm sure you could go to your favorite platform. But I really want you to check this out, the Independent Author Podcast. And just tying in a little bit with my brand here around memoir, Tom very recently interviewed uh, Rupert Jones. And those of you in the Seattle area where KKNW here is based, you might remember Rupert Jones from Seattle Mariners. Now, my dad would also remember him from Detroit because that's my dad's team, and that's what was going on when I was in high school. In 1984, way back there, uh, Rupert Jones was a household name. My, My dad followed him. And there was a time in Rupert's career where he suffered quite the brain injury, and he went on to create his memoir around this. Now, Tom just recently interviewed Rupert Jones, and they talked about his memoir. Uh, Tom, can I ask you to tell me just a little bit about this experience of uh, interviewing Rupert and anything you gleaned about memoir, anything at all you'd like to tell us about it? Sure. I'd I'd like to say, first of all, that it's the most recent uh, podcast that I've done. Um, And so it'll be at the top of the list for those people looking through my episodes. Um, Rupert as, and you know, those of, those of you in Seattle who are Mariners fans probably know the story uh, ad nauseum, but it was pretty new to me. I'm, I'm kind of a, a lapsed Phillies fan and a lapsed Yankees fan. And I'm a fair weather fan right now. And uh, if it weren't for my good buddy, Don, who lives in Seattle, I probably wouldn't know anything about the Mariners, but. Hey, Rupert, Don. Um, hey, Don. Hey, Don. And hey, Marsha. Hey, Marsha. Hey, Marsha. Okay. <laughs> um, so Rupert, uh, as those of you who are fans know, uh, was fielding a fly ball when he was playing with the Yankees in 1980 and he was going back to to catch this fly ball at the Oakland Coliseum and he ran head and shoulder first into the wall uh, in center field 
um, and he ended up injuring uh, his shoulder um, and he ended up with a traumatic brain injury. The, the rub here is that he didn't know that he had a brain injury for 10 years. Remember, this is 1980. The, the awareness that we have today about concussions, head injuries, CTEs among athletes is much greater, especially among football players. But he suffered um, basically almost a complete personality change shortly after he had this accident. They were, of course, very, very busy sh fixing his shoulder because you know, he was a ball player and your shoulders, your life, but he underwent, and, and this is in his book, which we talked about. He underwent almost a total personality change. He couldn't sleep. He had out, outbursts of anger. Um, he took to alcohol and to cocaine. And this is, I'm not talking out of school. This is all in his book. And he speaks very openly about it. It wasn't until 10 years later that he realized because he saw another baseball player who slid into second base and hit his head on the second baseman's knee. He saw this baseball player had all these mental issues after that accident. He had vertigo and he wasn't sleeping and it turned out he had a brain injury. So he kind of learned almost by accident to pursue that line. And then it took another 10 years before he finally um, got a diagnosis from two different psychiatrists. He was seeing, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, cognitive disorder, um, and another personality disorder, uh, all due to his head injury. And since that day, he was on, he, they, they adjusted his meds. And the bottom line is, he's my age now, he's 67. This all happened, you know, 40 years ago. But, you know, he really turned his life around once he knew what was going on. And I, part of his recovery was one of his doctors said, uh, you should write a book. Mm -hmm. And part of during part of his later recovery, he actually started doing a daily journal. <clears throat> and I said, what, what good is that? What, what kind of stuff did you write down? And he wrote down little things like, you know, today I went food shopping or today I cooked dinner for my wife today. I did this, 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 and this. And what that did was it gave him a sense of accomplishment and he was able to look down at what he wrote and could see that he was a productive person that day and that he was indeed a productive person because part of part of what he was going through, he felt a lot, he felt like he was useless and he, he felt guilt over not being there, you know, attentively for his family <clears throat> and writing the journal really helped. Um, and so I found it fascinating that, that he decided to take his, one of his therapist's advice and actually write his story. And, uh, you know, he did that. It was a long process. It took him eight years. He wrote his first draft by hand with a pen on like a legal pad. That's how he wrote his first book. And he and his wife would have, uh, they would have meetings at Starbucks and he would read to her what he wrote. She would type it into her computer until the whole book was digitized. And then he collaborated with a co-author, a gentleman named Ryan Dempsey, who has written a couple other books about athletes. And Ryan would give him a set of, uh, set of changes. He rewrote the whole book again. He would resend it to Ryan. He, he sent him changes. He would rewrite the book again. He rewrote the book three times. Oh. And so that process took, you know, eight years and he finally published the book a year ago. And now it's, it's out. He self-published that book as well. He used a company called book baby, yeah, which is a, they're I like, use. a yeah, they're there. And as, as you know, they're, they're a pretty big uh, company and they do a lot of books and they help with marketing. Uh, but he did, uh, you know, they, they're kind of a hybrid publisher, I guess they're not totally mm -hmm. self-publishing, but I just thought it was great that he did that, you know, and I loved his book. Uh, it's called Never Give Up. 
and it's available now. And uh, I just thought that writing was a part of his recovery. And, you know, it just kind of seemed to intersect with what you talk about, Debbie, which is, you know, really writing your truth and yeah. getting getting some kind of fulfillment out of that, you know, for a bigger picture issue. Yes. Oh, wonderful. I want you all to check this out. This is on the Independent Author Podcast. It's Tom's most recent release, and the title of the episode is Baseball to Brain Injury and Back. And like I said, Rupert Jones was a, a household name when I was growing up, and I I didn't know he um, he had such a, a terrible time after that that injury. But the the interesting part to me uh, that you really focused on too was the love with his wife. I mean, his wife wrote the wrote the foreword of the book and. Many of my authors know you you typically want to get someone to write your foreword who is renowned in your area. It helps you get more books out there. But as he so eloquently said, you know, I, I married my wife the moment I met her. And the moment I saw her basically was what he said. And so the, these two teamed up to create memoir. It's one of many ways to capture that real story. And it is all based in this theme of baseball and injury and how to find your way back. I, I can't wait to read the book myself, but I really was thrilled that you highlighted this in your podcast. I also want to point out just a couple others for our listeners. One of the others that I really enjoyed, especially our teachers are going to love this, was when you interviewed, I, I think it was just like a month ago uh, in March 2022, uh, Frank Lyman came on your show. Oh, yeah. From- yeah, that turned out to be way more interesting than I thought it would be because he's a, you know, he's, he's a guy who's taught, he taught elementary school for years. He taught high school. He's taught every level of school. And then he taught teachers different. His book is about different kind of teaching tips. And his whole thing is, engaging students early and often, you know, don't act like the students are your enemy. Don't act like they're just kind of there. You know, you got to make them part of the process, which sounds pretty basic, but I'm guessing that that doesn't happen every day, especially in some of our more troubled school districts, but his book had stuff in there that was relevant to me, you know, and I'm not a teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's a lot of life lessons and, you know, basic lessons on just communicating with people, which is so important in so many venues. So important. And for me as a teacher, I I knew I wanted to be a teacher when I was young. I had very good interactions with my teachers. And so it, it was clear to me that that was the path I was going to take. And it was shocking to me to be a teacher and to hear students come in and say, you know, I'm I'm terrified to write because I've I've never written anything a teacher mm. has liked, and I mm. think what you know where does that come from? But you know that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's funny you say that because I I briefly uh, between broadcasting and and uh, one of the many jobs I had in 2007 was I taught uh, some college courses at Stony Brook University on Long Island. I taught broadcast writing for two semesters. And most of our students were juniors. And, 
you know, teaching news writing, you kind of go into it as a, as an instructor with a baseline that, okay, these kids know things like grammar, they can read, they can write simple sentences. It was absolutely shocking to me, the, the lack of expertise, these kids, I mean, we're talking 19 year olds here, right? 19 and 20 year old young men and women who had real trouble writing just basic declarative sentences, you know? Um, and so I, I, I definitely hear that. I, I don't know that, you know, I have no idea, no way of knowing what their schooling, their early schooling was, but I think that people are afraid to write. I think that they can't do it. They think that, you know, it's not important that they do it. And that's just, that's kind of tragic. It is tragic. And I, I can point people back to how to spiffy up that problem. And that is to commit to reading your brain. Your brain sees, as Tom, as Tom has just said, very eloquent sentences that have been published, that have been approved. Your brain takes in the patterns. Whether you are trying to or not, your brain absorbs patterns. And then that equips your brain to write in those patterns that it has read. And just like Frank was saying in your your episode with him, there's, there's this responsibility in the teaching world to ask the questions. And he really covers it very well in his book, 100 Teaching Ideas That Transfer and Transform Learning. I felt like you guys really went deeply into that. And What I want to share with the people here is if you are really excited about something that you want to write and you've got this idea, I hear this all the time, I'm not going to read anything so it doesn't cloud what I want to write. That is absolutely the opposite route you want to go. If you're writing memoir, you might not want to read a whole lot of memoir right now, but you want to read. You want to read high-quality pieces of literature because your brain is a sponge and it soaks up wonderful new vocabulary, wonderful new patterns and structures, and that comes right out when you write. That's how it works. And when you were teaching, did you say it was Stony Brook? Yes. Stony Brook, um... I had a friend that was out there, and one of the things that she reported back was that the students kept getting younger and younger. In other words, the the writing that they were turning in, I don't think this is limited to Stony Brook at all. Let me, I didn't mean to say it that way. But the writing that she saw that was coming in over and over again made the student look like they're not. 19, they're 15, Mm. they're 13. And that has so much to do with, are they reading? Less to do with, are they practiced as writers? Sure. So thank you for contributing your knowledge to a group of writers for those semesters. I also want to brag on about your publishing episode. This one goes back to uh, July 2020, and you did this one on audiobooks can be fun. 
So when we come back after the break, we're really going to get into the the ins and outs around that because some of my writers, again, they have this funny idea that the audiobook is in somehow a cop-out. I want to actually help you understand how providing an audiobook is actually a great way to elevate your book, let alone elevating your brand. So we have lots to talk about to Tom about around that idea. Stick with us. We're just going to take a quick break right here. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. Every person with a disability deserves equity in education, employment, and their community. Sherwood Community Services takes pride in serving all people with disabilities and their families since 1957, including in rural areas and non-native English-speaking communities. Sherwood provides service in Snohomish, Skagit, and Island Counties. Sherwood is open for referrals for telehealth and virtual support for children and adults with disabilities. To find out more, visit SherwoodCS.org. Sherwood, believing in abilities. And welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. I'm your host, Coach Debbie, and I help you write your book, your blog, your brand, your speech, your TED Talk, your article that's going in Forbes magazine or wherever you want to send it off to. But really, 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 what I care so much about is your story. Sometimes this is the stories that you live by, and sometimes these are the stories you're writing. It can be very, very difficult to figure out which stories you want to put into that piece of writing that you're submitting for publication. It's also a big mystery to many people of which stories to leave out. And that's often where we start. I offer three-day three-week, and three-month VIP sessions for people. I also offer 90-day, six-month, and one-year memberships to my writing programs. I would love to have a conversation with you and just find out where you are in the process. You can always write to me via my website. Just go to coachdebbie.com. That's spelled D-E-B-B-Y coachdebbie.com, click on connect and write me a little note and we'll set up a time to have a conversation and to see how I might be able to help you. On this show here, Story You Talk Radio, often I use this hour as classroom hour to help you learn more about writing. But sometimes I bring on a person who's been doing a lot of writing. And today we have just that. We have Tom Krantz. We've been talking about his career in radio and TV, 
writing his podcast, writing his uh, fiction, science fiction. I wanted to get into writing, um, working with audiobooks, but we did get this question here from Zach. And I think since we're in the third segment of the show, we should just jump right over here to Zach, who says, great show today. Love to hear that people can be so multifaceted. A question for your guest, Tom. What do you do when you start to think you're all dried up, that you've written your last idea? I mean, is that the time that you take your wife on vacation, or is that when you buckle down? I really don't know. I would love your help. What do you say about that? Well, I don't think there is such a thing as not having, as having your last idea. You know, I mean, we all have ideas. Sometimes they come to us at three in the morning. Sometimes they come to us while we're watching TV or just, you know, twiddling our thumbs. Um, if you really like writing, um, the best thing to do is to just write. Even if what you think you're writing is stupid, uh, it's not going to be stupid. Or if it is now, it's not going to turn into something stupid. I, I remember, um, an interview I saw Stephen King do and where he talks about um, a writer, uh, a fiction writer that that he knew who was giving a talk once and talked about writing stories is like sitting around a campfire at night. You sit around a campfire at night and slowly the creatures from the forest kind of come and they check you out and they want to see what's going on. And there's a squirrel over there and maybe there's a deer and maybe there's, you know, a person comes from a nearby camp. And, and to him, that's what writing a story was like you start at point a and as you write um you allow yourself to just let your let let the story come from within and it's amazing how how easy that that is that that happens much more easily than you think if you actually start writing you start you know the boy started walking up the street and you know, you just, you let your mind go and it's amazing how many different ideas uh, come to you. So I think that the best answer is to just force yourself to sit down and write something. Uh, and then just by doing that simple exercise, discover what it is that you really want to say. Mm -hmm. Me too. I used to go to Louise's bakery here in the Seattle area. There was a writing coach that offered these great sessions, Tom. And so the idea was you showed up at 2.30, was one day a week, you brought your notebook, you sat at the tables, we pack Louise's. I mean, mm. it, she, she stayed in business um, partially, thanks to us writers. And we, the, the rule was, once you get there, you pick a table, it's gonna be other people sitting there, and for 30 minutes, you write without talking, and then you hmm. read at the end of 30 minutes what you wrote to the people sitting there. Nobody gives any critique. The only thing you could do was nod and smile and say thank you for sharing your story. That was yeah, the beginning that's a great exercise. End. That really is. It forces you to just write, which it is great. It did. And, yeah. you know, when I started that, I thought, I can't even believe I'm not going to go home with any you know, without any critique and help yeah. in this, man, I filled notebook after notebook after notebook. And I swear it was because I had the freedom to write it 
to read it out loud and to just go home, you know? And then when you go home and you look back at what you wrote, it's, you get the feeling that Rupert Jones got when he wrote about, you know, kind of the day-to-day stuff in his journal. I did this, look at all the stuff that I was thinking about and, you know, where is this going to lead now? Yeah, it was great. I mean, as far as my unedited stuff goes, um, I look back at some of that and think, hey, I like this, as opposed to, you know, when I was hammering it out alone <laughs> at the Selectric typewriter and all that good stuff. Well, I just want to thank Zach for having the guts to write in. It's always great to hear from people. I never turn away a question unless they're uh, just way too personal for me or my guests to go. We love to hear from you. But we were talking about uh, writing fiction, science fiction, and then elevating them on up to the audible level. I would I would love to hear about your experience uh, moving your published work into audible. Sure. Um, so audiobooks became really big during the pandemic because people were just dying for entertainment of any kind. And the, you know, the, the beautiful thing about audiobooks is basically somebody's reading you a story. I mean, who doesn't want to have a story read to you? Every little kid loves to have their mom or dad read to them. It's the same to me. It's the same thing. And it's, and it's an even better experience, or I should say it can be a better experience when the reader is perhaps the author and maybe the author is famous. There's tons of people out there who have written books, who narrate uh, their own books, movie stars, political figures, uh, cooks, musicians, uh, and, you know, part of the fun is listening to them tell their own story. Um, I decided to get into audiobooks because I, I, I knew that there was an audience out there for them. They've been um, selling more and more every year over the last 20 years. And it's become almost a completely DIY effort, just like self-publishing a paperback book or an ebook is now. You can pretty much do it all yourself. Um with audiobooks, you have the added dimension, of course, of needing a voice to read the book. Uh, I tried that myself, and I found that it was not for me because you're talking about a book that's, you know, a 200-page book. That's seven hours of reading. You know, you don't do it all at once, but um, I just didn't have the discipline for it. And then you have to go back and edit and edit. So, you know, one of the main expenses of doing an audiobook is hiring somebody to narrate it and produce it. Um, and that's, I, I've, I, the first, very first book I did, uh, the, the narrator actually did it for free with the process, with the promise of getting, uh, sharing royalties. We didn't have very many royalties for that book until the last book, a uh, time travel rescue is an audio book. Um, that was the second to last one. I paid, I think $300 to get that one done. And then my most recent one um, was a $500 investment. It's pretty much, there's a, the website is acx.com. It's a website that's run by Amazon, just like, you know, Amazon does its own self-publishing. You can pretty much do everything yourself. Um, and as I said, it's a process. If you're talking about seven hours of, of reading, uh, in my case, it was best to just have somebody do it because there's nothing worse than listening to an audiobook that's amateurish sounding. If somebody's making mistakes, constantly their voices breaking, they're mispronouncing things. That's why to me, it was worth spending the money to get professionals to do it. 
Uh, and, you know, in the process, my, my, uh, the, my one sci-fi book, Time Travel Rescue, is sold. Uh, almost 100 audiobooks, which is, you know, given they, they, they sell for 20 bucks each. So that was, that was nice. Uh, the other ones aren't as successful. But the sci-fi book that I just finished, that I'm finishing writing now, I'll probably do an audiobook out of that as well. Because sci-fi, as you know, is a huge subgenre out there. People just love it. Oh, yeah. I hope you do. That's that's an area where I would I would like to get trained. I would like to be an audiobook reader and mm. and find out a little bit more about that. I think it would be fun. Yeah, it takes nothing. I mean, you can uh, you can download them right onto your phone. I think the majority of people seem to listen to them in their car while they're driving, but I know of other people who listen to them you know, while they're at a Zoom meeting that they can't stand or they listen to them, you know, in their living rooms and whatnot. The car seems to be like the primary place where people listen to them now. I listen to, I've had audio, um, what do we call it? Audio, uh, I can't even say the name of the company and I've only subscribed to them for five years now. At least Audible? Audible, Audible. Yeah. No, it's yeah, been more yeah, like yeah. 10 years. Uh, I listen to them at, at night because, you know, you're supposed to turn your devices off and mm. not look at screens. Well, this is a great way to yeah, not look is. at your screen. And, you know, you got Anthony Bourdain telling you all about his kitchen confidential experiences or even one of my life coaches. He read his his volumes of books uh, in his British accent on hmm. onto Audible, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna listen to that at night before I go to sleep. That mm-hmm. that make Coach Debbie happy, you know. Listen <laughs> to those beautiful, beautiful books. So, with just uh, five minutes or so left in the show, Tom, tell me a little bit about your experience of switching genres going from fiction over to sci-fi or, or even moving out of the newsroom into fiction. What was that like? Well, moving out of the newsroom was, it was a blessing. Um, I, I could never do that for a living again for a number of reasons, but the beautiful thing about, <clears throat> about writing novels and writing the way I'm writing now is I can write whatever I want. You know, I don't have the restrictions, the guardrails, and kind of the rules of journalism. You know, there's a very specific way you approach stories. You try to be as fair as possible, as unbiased as possible. You're writing facts. You're trying to relate a story uh, as factually as possible. When you're writing uh, a novel, it's like, it's my imagination. It's my story. I'm going to write whatever I want. The thing that I found challenging was writing expansively, because when you write for television and for radio, you, you have to write short declarative sentences and lots of them. Yeah. Uh, there's no, you know, the dependent clause is almost, is almost never used. No. Uh, and longer sentences just don't work. You have to keep it, you know, bite-sized chunks of information so you don't lose the viewer. When you're writing a novel, you know, you can be much more expansive. You still don't want to do run-on sentences and go crazy with the dependent clauses, but you can write much more descriptively. You can write much more freely. So I really enjoyed that. And once I was able to do that, um, you know, writing, writing the novel just kind of came naturally. And then I just wanted to keep doing it. Uh, in terms of science fiction, you know, the, the, there are still basics. The basics for me are the people in the stories. Stories are about people. They're not about spaceships and they're not about mechanics. <laughs> they're about lovers and husbands and wives and, you know, the, 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 the bad guys of the world. 
and all of my books have all of those all of those elements in there. I've been a sci-fi fan since I was a kid. I still love the old Star Trek series. I've watched uh, pretty much uh, every sci-fi movie that's that's been out there for the last ten years or so. So I wanted to take a crack at it, and I and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I try not to get too bogged down with science, although science has to be part of science fiction. Uh, and I try to keep it, you know, readable for the non-nerds of the world out there. But it's a lot of fun writing that stuff. Mm-hmm. I love that that term. Take a crack at it. So many writers they come to the project of writing their book, and they're thinking if it's not a bestseller, there's absolutely no way they're going to invest five minutes or five bucks in it. Why is it so important to take a crack at it? Yeah, there's there's no downside to to starting. There's no downside to putting to putting your words on a computer screen or on on paper. What's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to walk away, come back tomorrow, say it sucks, and start over again. It's not like you know, it, nice. it's not this this emasculating process uh, of of losing losing self esteem or something. It's your writing. It's your work. If you don't like it, change it. That's right. That's right. There's no failure in creating a page or two or 10 or 20 and deciding as Zach said, you know, should I take my wife to Hawaii? Well, why not? And then (laughs) while you're there, see if you want to write, see if you want to put it off till you get back and do a little more writing. But the idea that you got 20 pages in and you got a little stuck. And so that makes you a failure and, and all this and all that, that's, that's just overthinking. And we have a lot, a lot of episodes here that will nurture the writer into listening to their heart and their intuition and getting creative again so you can tune down the volume of that overthinking and get back to the fun of the craft. Yeah, exactly. So, Tom, I just want to thank you for coming out today and for making my day. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great fun. Oh, wonderful. I'll be sure to have you back. To the rest of the listeners, I just want to say hello to Joy and to Alan, to Mary, to Dawn and Marsha, to Linda. Linda, I was really hoping to get your question today. I didn't get that. Uh, To Hannah and to Drew. Thanks for letting me know that you were listening today. It's always good to hear from you. We will be back next Thursday with another edition of Story U Talk Radio. And until then, my friends, namaste.